talk about genetics. Okay, no, 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 no. I know what you're thinking. I cannot believe my good fortune. You know, I've come to church on Monday, and I'm going to hear about Jeanette. You're overcome with a trend. You're actually speechless because you're so excited. And, and, well, you should be. This is big-time stuff. So let me say this again. We're going to talk about genetics. And, well, you should be excited. Anybody know what that is? That's evolution. Three billion years ago, the earth was just covered by vast oceans, just a big pot of chicken soup, chemicals bumped together, poof, the first life form assembled itself. And then over the next three billion years, things got more complex and more complex and more complex and more complex. And here we are. That's what the world says happened. I was actually taught that as an undergraduate. All during my years, when I got a degree in cell biology before I went to medical school. That's what I was taught for years. That's what I actually believe God used to bring man into existence. It, we just evolved. It was a slow process over millions of years. The secrets of evolution are time and death, time for the slow accumulation of favorable mutations and death to make room for new species. If evolution is true, I can show you what your family tree is. It's that. It's millions of years of death. You know what the process is that makes evolution go? Survival of the fittest. Stronger creatures survive, weaker creatures fall by the wayside. So as a process of millions of years of survival of the fittest and death 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 and more death and death and death, here we are. This is essentially our family tree, millions of years of death. This is the so-called geologic time scale. And this is a charts like this. This is an image or these are charts and diagrams I've seen since I was like in high school. And we know this is a very scientific chart. You know how we know that? It's got scientific words on it. You know, Devonian, Mississippian, Pennsylvanian, Permian. It's got all these. And then it's got the millions of years. And so if it's got scientific words and the millions of years on it, it must be a scientific chart. And what this chart's trying to convince you of is these simpler creatures over millions of years evolved into more complex creatures, evolved into more complex creatures, and eventually man arrives. So you go from simpler to more complex. When I say simpler, things, the whole idea of simple life form, that really is it's nonsense because I've studied the cell at a postdoctoral level. A cell is anything but simple. But it's simpler than other, you know, multicellular organisms. So you've got relatively simple things becoming more complex and more complex. Now, is there any place in the world you can go and dig down, you know, 5,000 feet or whatever in the sediment and have the fossils sorted exactly like that? No. What you have is what we call relative sort. If you go to the fossil, you know, fossil record in many different areas around the world, what you tend to find is relatively simpler things towards the bottom. And as you get towards the upper layers, you get you know, slightly more complex things and more complex. Because the world says, look at all this sorting. That proves these simple creatures evolved into these other creatures. So this creature here in the bottom corner may be evolved into the one above it and the one above it. And if you look in the fossil record, all you actually see are these fully formed creatures. If one type of creature evolves into another type of creature, does it just do it instantly? No. According to evolution, it takes millions of years of slow changes. But you only see these two creatures. You don't see fossil evidence of the creatures in between, the so-called transitional forms. What I'm going to tell you is this. What we see in God's world really does agree with what we read in God's Word. 
God created everything in six days, six ordinary 24-hour days. Here's your first big issue for the day. How do creatures reproduce according to Scripture? After his or after their kind. And this is a very simple concept. When dogs reproduce, they have dogs. When cows reproduce, they have When cats reproduce, they unfortunately have cats. You see, this is not hard. Cats don't reproduce and have turtles. Here's your next question for the day, and you must prove your answer. Could you have seen this in the Garden of Eden? Could you have seen this in the Garden of Eden? Prove your answer. Because there is a definitive answer, but you have to prove it. Anybody can guess yes or no, you have to prove it. Could you have seen this in the Garden of Eden? The answer is no. Not only no, absolutely not, impossible, couldn't have happened, never, ever, ever. You would not have seen this in the Garden of Eden, period. How do I know that? Simply this. When God finished his creative activity, he looked on everything he had created and said it was what? God said it was very good. There is no way God can look on a poodle and call it very good. Poodles are not very good. Poodles are like the end of the line for dogs. If a poodle loses any information, it ceases to exist. Poodles are not very good. I do have a question for God when I get to heaven. Why did you look on your creation and call it very good if there were cats there? So nonetheless, there's no way God looks on a poodle and calls it very good. Now, could you have seen this in the Garden of Eden? This is more likely what you would have seen, the original dog Kind, the original cat, kind, and the original cow, kind. unity. 
The best explanation for this is God's very nature. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Three persons in one. Loves both diversity and unity. So God creates the original kinds of creatures. They reproduce after their kind for 1,700 years or so. And then there's a problem. The flood's coming. So two of every kind, seven of some, did what? Got on board the ark. The flood happened. The, the, the waters receded. The ark settled. The animals did what? They got off. Then they did what? They reproduced. They repopulated the earth. Here's your next question. Do animals change? You don't seem too sure of your answer. Do animals change? Sure. Do animals change into other animals? There's your problem. So how many dogs are on the ark? Those dogs got off the ark. They did what? Reproduced. And their offspring were what? Dogs. And those dogs reproduced. Their offspring were what? And those dogs reproduced. And their offspring were what? And it goes on and on and on, right? And pretty soon you have what? Lots of dogs. Is this evolution? No, it's just what? Dogs. But you start off with two dogs and you end up with an amazing variety of dogs. Look at it. It's just amazing the variety that there are among dogs. I mean, it's just extraordinary. Here's one of my favorites, the raccoon dog. Is that a dog turning into a raccoon? No, it's just a funny looking what? Dog. You see, this is not hard. So how does this happen? That's where we get to talk about genetics. Hold your applause to the end. I know you're really excited. Now, this is my favorite part. We're going to talk about genetics, but we're going to use a very simple example. As you know, we get half our genetic material from mommy and half from daddy. You know, it works the same with dogs and cats and turtles. You know, we're not animals, but we have a common designer. There's a common genetic mechanism that, that God uses to, uh, you know, transmit genetic information to subsequent generations. So here we're going to use three traits, A, B, and C. Now, by convention in genetics, if there's a dominant trait, it's, it's indicated by the capital letter, and a recessive trait is indicated by a lowercase letter. And it's actually very much... You know, more complicated than this, but we're just going to use a simple example, A, B, and C. So we have a mommy dog and a, and a daddy dog. So here you have two offspring. You have one offspring that gets the big A from both parents, the big B from both parents, the big C from both parents. Then you have one of its siblings that get little A's, little B's, and little C's. Are these two dogs different? Yes. Why are they different? They have different combinations of genetic material. Are they both still dogs? Have these dogs changed from their parents? Yes. Have they changed into something other than dogs? No, they managed to find a way to change into a dog. See, this is not hard. Here's another combination. You get big A's from both parents, big C's from both parents, but this creature gets the little B from one parent. Is that different than the other two siblings? Yes. Is it still a dog? You see, what we're seeing here is we're seeing sorting of the genetic material that's already there. Here's another combination. You have big B's, but there's a little A and a little C. This is different than the other three, but it's still a what? Dog. Dog. Here's another combination. And let's just say, you know, that's a wolf, dingo, kind of, just to give you a basic sort of uh, very simple example. And realize this sorting pattern is 
vastly more complex. We're talking about, you know, just talking about an extraordinary number of genes and combinations. So this is just one simple example. Here you see this much variation just within five or six different creatures. So you start off with two dogs, you get all these different types of dogs. It works the same way for cats and turtles and tulips. See, it works the same way. So you start off with two dogs and you get all these different, different combinations of genetic material. And you say, well, does this really mean anything? Actually, it does. It means everything. Here's another example. We have two dogs with medium-length fur. And in this example, to get medium-length fur, you have to have the, gene for, the L gene for long fur and the S gene for short fur. Here, this is something that's called incomplete dominance. It's not like one gene completely dominates the other. If you got the LS combination, you have medium-length fur. So if you get two S genes, you have short fur. You get an L and an S, you have medium. If you have an L and L, you get long. See, this is not hard. So you have these two dogs, and they have offspring. Well, if one of the offspring gets, the, gets an S from both parents, it has short fur. If it gets an LS, it has medium fur. But if it gets Ls from both, both parents, it has long fur. Now, if two dogs with long fur reproduce, can they have an offspring with short fur? Why not? They don't have the genetic information to code for short fur. All they have are genes for long fur. So the only thing those two dogs can have if they have offspring together are offspring with long fur. Now, again, I don't know what they call it in dogs. I don't know if it's like grandparents, parents, and grandkids or whatever. But you got generation one, two, and three. Are the grandkids different than the grandparents? Why are they different? They have long fur. Here's your other question. In this process, you see these dogs transforming themselves into dogs, by the way. You have this change. The grandkids are different than the grandparents. Have you gained or lost information? You've lost information. You have the same total amount of DNA, but you've lost information because you no longer have the information for short fur in the genome. In, these, in the grandkids, they've lost the S gene. Again, they have the same amount of DNA, but you've actually lost information. Now, is this a bad thing? No. Actually, in certain situations, this can be very good. Let me give you the example. These dogs get off the ark, and they start reproducing. If a group of dogs wander north, they do better if they have what, long fur or short fur? What happens if they have short fur? They freeze. This is not hard. Now, down here, you know, you're close to the beach, so warm is, you know. I've been in Fargo, North Dakota when it was 30 below one time. I know about freezing. But anyway, if the dogs go south, they do better if they have short fur. Dogs that go to heavily forested area do better if they have dark-colored fur rather than light-colored fur. You see, in certain environments, creatures have a survival benefit based on their physical characteristics. So God, in his, in his infinite wisdom, put the maximum amount of genetic information in the original created kinds of creatures, knowing they were going to have to adapt to all these different environments in a fallen, cursed world. So over many generations, like these dogs that wander to the forest, eventually, as, as the population you know, reproduces there, you will eventually lose the ability to have offspring with light-colored fur because there's no reproductive advantage. In the forest, you have light-colored fur. You can't sneak up on any food and... You basically become food because you can be seen. So over many generations, that, that trait has no survival benefit, so it eventually sort of gets reproduced out of the gene pool. Now, that allows these creatures to adapt to these environments. Again, they're remaining dogs, but you're losing information. Now, think this through. If evolution's true and you go from a one-cell creature to man over two billion years or whatever, do you have to gain or lose information? 
You have to gain. There's like 200 different cell types in the human body. Go from a one-cell creature to man. You have to increase. You have to gain information. What you're actually seeing in the real world is you're losing information. But that's not necessarily a bad thing. It allows these creatures to adapt to these different environments. Now, you got all these different dogs, and based on the combination of genetic material they have, they are able to survive in certain environments better than other creatures that don't have those desirable traits. Now, is there any reason to believe this is true? Well, the origin of domestic dogs from wolves has been established. We examined the mitochondrial DNA sequence variation among 654 domestic dogs representing all major dog populations worldwide, suggesting a common origin from a single gene pool for all dog populations. And I still use this quote even though it's from 2002. Now, when a lot of this research was done, you know, 15, 16 years ago, it really upset a lot of evolutionists because they're saying, wait a minute, you know, we don't like this because this lends credence to those, you know, th those Bible people that say that, that, that creatures go back to the original kinds. We don't like this. So what they began to theorize is that different dog populations came from different wolf populations in sort of the you know, millions of years ago. And these different wolf populations gave rise to different groups of dogs. Well, about three years ago, another paper came out and said, guys, you can just hang that idea up. As much as you hate this, we all, the, all dogs go back to one common gene pool. Now, how did we already know that? God's word's true. All dogs go back to the original dog kind. So here we are, 6,000 years later, modern genetics just caught up to what God's word clearly tells us is that all dogs go back to a common gene pool. So you start off with, say a real dog, like a wolf or a husky, and over many generations as creatures wandered in different areas, you have sorting of the genetic material. So you get all these different varieties of dogs. And out in the real world, I mean, there's a limit to that because sometimes when you lose enough variability, you know, dogs are really not able to care for themselves out in the real world. Like, you know, the, the modern sort of domestic dog breeds, a lot of dogs that we have in our homes that are our pets and stuff would not survive well out in the forest or on the prairie. You know, and again, I point to the best example, you know, the poodle. You know, poodles, you know, can't exist in a home that doesn't have central heat and air. You don't go to the vet twice a week because poodles aren't very hardy creatures. I mean, they're kind of cool pets, I suppose, if you like worthless little dogs. But Nonetheless, those dogs would not exist in the real world because you cannot breed the amount of variability out of them in the real world that we have. You know, people who breed dogs, you know, expect if you breed two particular poodles that you're going to get a litter of poodles that are white fur or whatever, you know, kind of poodle they want. So there are extremes, but out in the real world, it's going to end, you know, a little bit further up. But what you're seeing here is you're seeing loss of information, but these dogs are all staying dogs. The key point and the thing that the world really struggles with is this. Over many generations, you're not gaining information. You're losing information. And I'm going to give you the best example. I've never been a pet person, as you've probably figured out like five seconds after I got here. Of course, having said that, I've got three dogs and four cats in my house because I have women and I don't get to make those decisions. But anyway, we've got all these pets. Some years ago, after I'd put my foot down for so many years about no pets, my youngest daughter, who was then six, came and crawled up in my lap, put her head on my shoulder and said, Daddy, can we have a puppy? Well, my dog moratorium ended instantly. I said, yes, baby, we're going to go get a puppy. I'm just glad she didn't ask for a Ferrari because she'd been the only six-year-old in town with a Ferrari. So anyway, so we went off to get the puppy. And it was really funny that my best friend from high school, who's now a veterinarian, he and his wife just happened to be visiting us that weekend. And he just happened in his pocket to have the address of the local puppy 
breeder person. So we went to the puppy breeder person, and we got Rosie. Rosie was a cute little dapple Dotson, and Rosie was not a cheap purchase. Anyway, I'm still paying for Rosie. But nonetheless, we bought Rosie, and on the way home, of course, we had to stop at the pet store and get, you know, three different dog beds and heated dog this and special food that was flown in from Zurich and 12 dog toys. So, you know, this was an expensive day for me. So we get home, and we've got this puppy, and I'm thinking, I don't really like pets, and I don't really, but we've got a dog, and my daughter's happy. And so my wife handed me this envelope. She said, honey, put this in the safe. And I said, what is this? She said, it's the dog's birth certificate. I said, honey, my birth certificate's in the kitchen drawer where the knives, forks, and spoons. And I'm putting the dog's birth certificate in the safe. What is up with this? And she said, no, you need to look at this. So I opened the middle of this class bomb and I pulled it out. And it was like, it was like 15 pages. Is this thing just accordion? And I said, what? She said, no, you need to read this. And I opened it up and it said, you know, genetic history or the AKC registration, whatever. And this is Rosie's lineage. And it said Rosie's mother was La Petite Bourgeois Natividad Lafayette IV. And it had all these code numbers and it had all this genetic information on it. And then it said the father was Genghis Khan, Ivan the Terrible, Napoleon Bonaparte XV. And it had all this genetic. See, the thing is, they knew Rosie's genetic lineage through, the, through her mom and dad back like many generations because the dog breeder, when he bred these two dogs together, wanted to know that they were going to like little dapple Dotsons. And I went, that's really kind of incredible. And then, of course, you know, then we had Rosie and it was all, you know, we know all her genetic lineage. But that's the whole point. When, when Rosie's, you know, parents were bred together, they knew that, that there was not going to really be any variability. There wasn't going to be a white Dotson or a black one. There were going to be sort of brown dapple Dotsons. But that's the thing. They're able to categorize this back many generations. But we know that over many generations, you're actually losing information. But the world says, no, 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 you're leaving out one thing. What about mutations? You know, which are copying defects in the DNA. Because if you read the genetics textbooks, when you go to college and take a genetics class, this is what you're going to see. But then you're going to see that little caveat. Yeah, but we know mutations add information to the genome. Well, actually, mutations don't add information in the genome in the molecules to man's sense. There's no known law of nature, no known process, and no known sequence of events which can cause information to originate by, by itself in matter. Not even one mutation has been observed that adds a little information to the genome. You see, the secular world clings to this because they have to. They know that the sorting the genetic information means you're losing information. How does it get back? What well, mutations cause it? All point mutations that have been studied on the molecular level turn out to reduce genetic information and not to increase it. So in the real world, what you're seeing is real genetics is going the opposite direction of evolution. And in many cases, it's good. It's good for the specific creature, but you're not adding information. So you start out with much more variability, and as dogs, uh, in this case, example, dogs, as dogs or cats or cows uh, adapt to different environments, you lose variability. And then you get down to more purebred creatures where there's very little variability at all. So when you look at real genetics in the real world, what it does, as, as real science always does, it confirms what God's Word tells us. Now, here's your next question. How many races are there? How many races of human beings are there? Answer is one. What I was taught in college, four. And I've talked to a lot of people over the years who are my age, and I said, you remember what you were taught in high school and college about this question? How many races were you taught that there were? The answer I tend to get from people my age is three, four, five, six, or seven. The most common is four. And the reason that was taught, this, 
is that we evolved from ape-like creatures over the last three to five million years. And folks, if that's true, this is true. And if that's true, this is true. But the sad part is, if that's true, this is true. Because you know all people don't look the same? All people groups don't look the same. People from China look different than people from the Congo who look different from people uh, from Scandinavia who look different than Native Americans who look different from people in South America. People groups look, do we have different physical appearances? And what scientists years ago reasoned was different people groups have different appearances. All people groups are not equally evolved. People groups have evolved at different levels at different rates over, you know, the last three to five million years. And if people groups evolved at different levels to different rates, how many people groups can be the most evolved? One. And that people group finds itself perfectly justified in looking down on all those other people who aren't as evolved as we are. Now, let me say this before I go any further, because people always misunderstand. Because people accuse our ministry of, of blaming everything on evolution, and it's just not true. So I hear this loud and clear. Evolution is not the cause of racism. You know what the cause of racism is? Sin, pure and simple. Man's inhumanity to man's existed since the time of the fall. However, evolution has been used as a scientific justification for racism more than any other concept in human history. And I've been challenged so many times over the years. You know, Dr. Bruce, that's just completely wrong. You're being unfair. That's not what evolution is taught. It's exactly what they taught. This is a diagram from a, from a book in 1927. On the, on the right side, you have the, the, the family of apes. And on the left side, you have the family of man, the so-called modern races of man. All people groups don't look the same. So some people groups aren't as evolved as we are. Biological arguments for racism may have been common before 1859, but they increased by orders of magnitude following the acceptance of evolutionary theory. This quotes from Professor Stephen Jay Gould, one of the most famous evolutionists of our day. Even he says, when, when, the, when the scientific world accepted evolution is true, scientific argument, arguments for, for racism increased exponentially. The right answer, there's one race, the human race. And you come to the right conclusion when you have the right starting point. What people group is that? Anybody? That's the Aborigine. According to one ministry, and I will not name the ministry. Do not ask me later. You can look it up. I will tell you this. According to one ministry, the Australian Aborigine existed on earth before Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden were placed on earth by God. Because according to the sociologic records that they refer to, they claim that the Australian Aboriginal culture dates back like 60 to 75,000 years. So therefore, they were on the earth before God put Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden here, which is a peculiar problem for the Aborigine because it means that they're not descendants of Adam and Eve. And if they're not descendants of Adam and Eve, there's something they cannot be. They cannot be saved. Jesus went to the cross to save those who died in Adam. You see, you've got a huge problem. When you rely on man's, when you rely on man's ideas, when you rely on the secular culture's estimates of, of sociological history and things like that, the Australian Aborigine is fully human. Do the Australian Aborigines look different than I do? Yeah, but guess what? They can say the same thing about me. Tommy looked the same as we do. They're fully human. 
When you look at different people groups through the right, with, with the right foundation, if you look at different people groups through biblical glasses, if you will, you come to right conclusions. It's just like if you're going to bake a cake. It's just like the example we gave with the dogs. If you have different variations of the same ingredients, you get different outcomes, you get different combinations, you get different types of cakes. Well, different combinations of genetic material, you get different physical characteristics. And see, over the years, we've begun to call those things racial characteristics, but they're really more ethnic or cultural characteristics. This is what most people don't realize. If you take any two people and put your DNA in a blender and you sequence it, you match it, the difference between any two people is 0.2%. And that's actually a very high estimate because based on the more recent data I've seen, it's closer to 0.1%. It is an almost insignificant amount of the DNA in any two of us account for the differences in any two human beings. So if you take all the you know, millions of base pairs, you, you sequence them, you analyze it, at worst case scenario is there's 0.2% difference between any two people. Now, the genes that code for what we call racial characteristics, the things that, you know, the visible physical characteristics that we have, that's the way we're judged by other people, 0.012% it is less than an insignificant amount of our DNA codes for things that we judge people by the most. Now, I'm going to ask you a question, and I want you to be kind because you could really be cruel with your answer, and I'm hoping that you won't be. So I'm going to ask you, so just, I, I'm putting myself out there for you. What's the difference between me and LeBron James? That was very kind of you. That you could have been much crueler. Yes, he's taller. And I might not be. He's worth a billion dollars, and I work for a nonprofit ministry. So, I mean, <laughs> thank you, but I, should, I, can, I, I can get you odds on that anywhere. But, well, well, this is the answer. He's taller. Thank you very much. He's a world-class athlete. I'm a fat doctor. He's worth $986 million, and I work for a nonprofit ministry. There really is no difference between me and LeBron James. I mean, he is an amazing athlete, and I'm just a couch potato. I mean, I can work a remote control, but the thing is, there's no difference. It's 0.012% of the things that we would laugh about, you know, the tall, you know, the straighter curly hair. But at most, it's 0.2%. There's no real difference between me and LeBron James. We're the same. We're both fully human. Let's just say we all go back to two people. Oh, just for the sake of discussion, let's call them Adam and Eve. And Adam and Eve had sons and daughters. And over time, you have more and more popular, the population grows, the population grows. And then what would cause people groups to wander off together? How about the Tower of Babel? I mean, what about confusing the languages and dispersing the people? Now, if you're going to wander off with a group of people, are you going to wander off with a group of people you can understand, a group of people you can't understand? Well, I want to have somebody to talk to. So we're wandering off, and I'm going to have somebody to talk to. And then see, at the Tower of Babel, God disperses the people. And then within you know, a few hundred years, you're going to have the maximal extent of the Ice Age, which is ultimately going to have the effect of reproductively isolating these different groups of people. So you're going to have reproduction within the group. So certain physical characteristics are going to become predominant in those groups. You know, whether it's straight or curly hair or 
thickness of lips or shape of earlobes or eyelids, depth of skin tone. All these different characteristics become predominant in these groups. Now, again, some of it's going to be based, based on selection, you know, because darker skin is, is, a, is, is perhaps a survival advantage near the equator and lighter colored skin. And, you know, the Scandinavians tend to be lighter colored. But that's a relative thing. And remember, as these cultures develop, these different ethnic groups or cultural groups, there are going to be certain cultural norms that sort of define what makes an ideal husband or wife. There's going to be more than just selection. So you're going to have these physical characteristics that become predominant in these different groups. But what you'll notice is all these isolated people groups, when they reproduce, they still reproduce and have what? People. They, when humans you know, reproduce, they have humans. This is not hard. But over time, we have different physical appearances. The number of atoms you can put in the known universe is 10 to the 80th power. Now, folks, I don't care what you say. That's a lot of atoms. 10 to the 80th power. Just try to wrap your mind around that. That's a lot of atoms. The number of electrons you can put in the known universe is 10 to the 130th power. Folks, I don't care what you say. That's a lot of electrons. Now, can anybody tell me how many offspring two people can have until they have two exactly the same? Now, I'm not saying identical twins is different before the zygote splits. I'm saying if you have one kid at a time, how many offspring can you have until you have two exactly alike? It's 10 to the 2017th power. That's how much information is in your genome. And according to the secular world, by the way, that amount of information got there by accident. So think about that. How come the vast majority of that information is never expressed in any human being, but it's there so what's the survival benefit of stockpiling that much information? And how do you stockpile that much information in essentially you know, three to five million years? Think this through. So it's a vast amount of information we have in our DNA. How many skin colors do you see here? Five, right? How many skin colors? Five. How many? Wrong answer. You have many? One. All those skin colors are the same. It's like if you go to your computer, you know, you pull up a color wheel and you click on blue or brown or red or something, and then next to it you see that little bar that's got dark blue to light blue or dark brown to light brown. All these skin colors are the same. There's one primary pigment that accounts for skin color in humans. It's called melanin. There's some minor pigments, but melanin is the main pigment. The difference is this. LeBron James and I have the same skin color. And that shocks a lot of people. He has more melanin, I have less. But our skin color is the same. The depth of skin tone is different. So let me ask you a question. Am I a white person? I'm a white person, right? These are not hard questions, folks. Work with me. Am I a white person? No, I'm not. Am I a white person? If I am this color, somebody call 911 and tell my wife the insurance policy is in the safe. I got serious medical problems. I'm not a white person. I am lighter skinned than other people, but I am not a white person. If I'm a white person, I have serious medical issues. But this is how it works. There are different combinations of genes that code for different you know, depths of skin tone. So, I mean, you can go from very dark to very light. And having said that, 
Here's your question. What color were Adam and Eve? And I've had people argue with me on both ends of the spectrum, no pun intended. I've had people come to me and say, Adam and Eve were obviously white. And I try to stop, not laugh because they're not white. But anyway, Adam and Eve were obviously light-skinned. What's obvious about that? Well, they obviously were. Really? Why? Because my Sunday school book showed you that way? Not true. When two people with light skin have offspring, their offspring generally are what? Light colored. There you go. Just the opposite of that, two people with very dark skin, if they reproduce together, their offspring tend to be what? Dark skin. What about people who are middle brown? And the majority of people in our world today are still what we would call middle brown. People with middle brown skin tend to have much more uh, variety in uh, expression of the genes that uh, uh, code for depth of skin tone. And even in our world today, people who are middle brown, they reproduce to have a much wider range of depth of skin tone in the offspring. I would argue that Adam and Eve were middle brown and that the range of depth of skin tone in their offspring would be much wider. And of course, back in the, there's been a lot of sorting since that time. I can just imagine the range of skin tones in Adam and Eve's offspring. But that's just based on what we understand about inheritance of skin tone in our world today. Last time I checked, there was either 20 or 21 genes that are involved in this. It's very complex. Here we go. Mixed doubles. Two-tone twins. One twin is light skin. The other twin is dark skin. Which of those twins is the most evolved? They're the same. I mean, whoever's born first is... Supposedly, I don't know how that works, but I, you know, one of those kids is like two minutes older than the other. Of course, you know, Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin got to the moon at the same time and whatever. But the thing is, how does that happen? Well, one parent's darker skin, the other parent's lighter skin. Here's, here, here's one for show and tell. I got a twin sister who's black. Somebody brings her frog, somebody brings her model airplane. Here's my sister, she's black. I mean, that freaked the British newspapers out. They couldn't understand that. Because, see, years ago, how did the evolutionists explain that? You've got twins, one's light skin, one's dark skin. Well, guess what? The darker skin person's supposed to be less evolved. How can that be? Well, the, the mother is light skin, the father is darker skin. And they've actually followed these kids from the time they were born up until, you know, they, they were adults. How do you explain that? It's very simple. It's just combination of genes. Here's uh, 12 photographs. Photographs of young ladies. As I remember, these are photographs from a school in Washington, D.C. Which of these young ladies is the most evolved? They're the same. You know what the secular world would have said years ago? The ladies on the top left are more evolved. The ladies on the bottom right were less evolved. Why? They don't look like we do. They're darker skin. They got thicker lips. They got curly hair. They're not as evolved as we are. But I heard of Oda Binga. I know who he is or was. Odebingo was a little dark-skinned man about that tall. He was brought to America to be a part of a World's Fair exhibition about, you know, uh, cultures, you know, of other lands around the world. And after the World's Fair was over, you know where they put Odebingo? They put him in the zoo. You know why? He wasn't human. He doesn't, you know, he didn't look like we do. He didn't look like us. He's, coarse, he's got coarse features. He's got dark skin. He's closer to the apes. He's a missing link. He was eventually given some degree of freedom to, to roam around the zoo. Little kids mocked him, threw things at him, and spat on him. Where was the church when the learned men of the day put a human being in the zoo? Here's a photograph of, here's seven photographs. 
Kindred of Stone Age men discovered on Antarctic Island. Missing links with mankind in the early dawn of history. Listen to what the learned men of the day said. You see those seven people? They're missing links. They're part of our evolutionary heritage. They need to be studied. We're better than they are. We're more evolved than they are. They don't look like us. They're missing links. These seven people, did they, were, were they backwards? No, they weren't backwards at all. They had a very rich cultural heritage. They have the same, say, technology that the European scientists had. No. But these people had a very rich cultural heritage. But the learned men of the day said, they don't look like we do. They have coarser features. They're closer to the apes. We need to study them. Think about horrific that sort of thinking is. Anybody here ever, ever heard the term cavemen? What are cavemen? Don't overthink this, folks. These are easy questions. What are cavemen? People live in caves. See how hard this is? Caves are a great place to live. People throughout history have lived in caves. One of the most famous cavemen in history died not too long ago. Osama bin Laden. He lived in caves. Caves are great places to live. But see, we get this idea that somehow in the past, our ancestors were sort of, you know, brutish, sort of knuckle-dragging, you know, uh, we, you know, they didn't know anything, you know, uh, you know, me, me wear leopard skin, uh, me build fire, ah, uh, burn finger, uh, me see, uh, uh, me, me hit wife with club. See, that would be the end of the caveman right there. I mean, the first one, you, you know, because you, that, but see, that's sort of the cartoon character caveman thing that we think about is our ancestors were somehow brutish and they had to learn these things. Read what God's word says about the earliest people. I mean, they were very capable. They could work. They, could, they worked with metals. They built instruments. They could work the land. We didn't evolve from some brutish, you know, furry-browed knuckle-dragger that had to invent fire and invent the wheel. But that's the way this whole idea of human evolution is portrayed. And it's so subtle, and we tend to buy into it. Will not work. Oh. And the reason I think that's particularly funny is if my ancestors did evolve, that's who I would have evolved from. But the thing is, I mean, this is funny and we sort of think, of, but that's really not the way it works. Man has been very capable since day six of creation week. But the so-called scientific learned men of the day, they've had different ideas. You know, the Australian Aborigine was actually hunted and killed in the name of science. Because the Australian Aborigine was not considered human. The Australian Aborigine was considered an animal. They were hunted, killed, dissected, and their parts prepared and shipped back to Europe to major museums to be studied. There are some museums in Europe that still have Aboriginal remains, and they have not, and so far when approached, have refused to return them because they are still 
worthy for, quote, study, unquote. There was one museum in Europe that basically prepared a bounty hunter's guide to teach you how to go to Australia and kill and prepare Aborigines parts and stuff to be sent back for study. There was a reporter in Australia some years ago, and he wanted to write sort of the history of the, of the, the, the pioneer days of Australia, what the, the country was like as far back, you know, what was the real pioneering time in Australia. So what he did, he went around the country to try to find the oldest living Australians he could find, and he wanted to interview them. Tell me what your childhood was like. Tell me what it was like when it was real pioneering frontier country. What he heard from multiple of these interviewees was this. They longed for the day where you could shoot aborigines for sport because they're just animals. You see where the wrong foundation leads? God's word's clear. We're one blood. We all go back to two people, Adam and Eve. Eve was mother of all the living. And what modern genetics tells you is this is absolutely correct. This secular view of different races evolving at different levels, there's no scientific basis for it. But the bias was there. We're better than they are. We're smarter than they are. We look different than they do. They have coarser features. They're not as evolved as we are. We're all one blood. <laughs> Kinda caught you off guard, didn't it? After the flood. Can you marry your relation? Yes, no, probably, or only after counseling. Can you marry your relation? 
I got all day. That's a great answer. Answer is yes. You have to. If you don't marry your relation, you haven't married a human. My wife and I were related before we got married, very distantly. Here's the better question. Can you marry a close relation? No. Why should I not marry my sister? There are two reasons. There's three reasons. Okay, okay. I was trying to leave out the part she really doesn't like me, but I got it. Okay, you know, okay. there are two reasons. One, we'd have very ugly kids. More important reason, the risk of birth defects. Because, see, we inherit DNA from the same parents, and our parents, as everybody has DNA that has copying defects. So when you marry a close relation, the chance of matching up copying defects in the offspring is much higher. People groups who are reproductively isolated have a much higher rate of birth defects. You know, Charles Darwin married his first cousin, and he was concerned his whole life about uh, the health of his children. And that was really back before they understood anything about how genetics really works. But they just knew over the years that marrying close relations, there's a risk of birth defects. So the thing is, you have to marry your relation. You just should not marry a close relation. Which of these marriages does God's word say is wrong? The Christian, the Christian, the non-Christian, the non-Christian, or the non-Christian, the Christian? One on the bottom. Okay, that's the easy question. Here's your harder one. Is the marriage on top an interracial marriage? No, it's not. It can't be because there are no races. We're all one blood. We're all fully human. Is this an intercultural marriage? Yeah. There is no biblical mandate against that marriage on top. Now, should they enter that marriage with serious consideration? Absolutely. I mean, there are going to be societal issues, how it's going to affect the kids. I mean, that's not something, well, you should never enter any marriage, helter-skelter, but there are, there are significant issues there. But if they really love each other and feel like God wants them together, there is absolutely no biblical mandate against that. There is no such thing as interracial marriage. Now, you need to be careful, like I say, if you marry somebody with a different culture or different ethnic background, because there are things you have to consider. I've got a friend who married a really sweet uh, lady from Japan. When he was in the service. And they're meant to be, they're just lovely couples you'd find. But they tell the funniest stories about the first 10 years they were married because he would say something. And in her culture, that's really not what it meant or what her parents said. And, it, and it, there was just a lot of struggles because they didn't really understand the cultural background. So they had some rocky times early on. But, I mean, they tell the stories. It's really kind of amusing now. But I'm sure at the time they were dealing with these issues, it wasn't amusing. But there's no reason that that shouldn't happen. The really sad part about it is my friend whose wife is Japanese was speaking at a conference one time and the church called him and told him he couldn't speak because they just found out he was involved in an interracial marriage. Because his wife was Japanese, they canceled the conference. Think of that. Folks, we need to get rid of the term races. When the Bible talks about races, it means running a race. When the Bible talks about people groups, it talks about tribes or nations. But, you know, as it always happens... Finally, the scientists have caught up to what God's Word tells us. Dr. Ventner, who's head of the Celera Genomics Corporation, and scientists of the National Institutes of Health recently announced they'd put together a draft of the entire sequence of the human genome, and the researchers had unanimously declared there is only one race, the human race. Wow, it only took the scientists 6,000 years to catch up with what God's Word clearly tells us. You see, there's a biological fact. All humans belong to one race. But there's a spiritual fact. All humans are divided into two races, and they're racing in different directions.
And with that, we'll conclude. Thanks very much. Appreciate y'all being here. God bless you. Got any questions? I'll be around. <laughs>